you have a nice birthday, Christmas and New Year's? Very good, thank you. Yes, I, I enjoyed all three well-ish. I spent my birthday on a plane, or in fact two planes, many, many delays. So, you know, it wasn't all that fun, but I, I had a, a birthday drink in San Francisco airport. Nice. And uh, what age did that birthday make you again? 21. Okay, happy 21st. And Christmas? Christmas in America? What do they do differently there? Do they have the turkey upside down? Do they, uh, they don't know what Christmas pudding is, presumably? Actually, it's pretty low-key because the big celebration is Thanksgiving. Right. So, uh, yeah, it was fairly low-key, but uh, I enjoyed uh, frequenting very many bars. So I was in Seattle for Christmas and, and Portland for a couple of days between Christmas and New Year, uh, and then Seattle for New Year and came home on the 1st of Jan. Nice. Very nice. Uh, any wild parties on New Year's Eve for you? No. Quite quiet, in fact. Yeah, just a, uh, a Mexican New Year's-ish, sort of. Well, how does that work? Well, Mexican restaurant. <laughs> just done that here <laughs> i guess they're probably better in california right that's only oh, no, went in california you're in no, Washington. No, seattle's further north yeah so uh, what about you uh yeah it was lovely thank you family and friends and delight and manchester united uh, i didn't go to stoke on boxing day which i was quite pleased about we've worked out that you are you are the problem no it's not true so, everyone was wondering why united associate but it's you going to the games as soon as you didn't go to a game much much improved performance and talking talking of good new years a good new year for lou van hall he has yeah. a job uh, which is a surprise <laughs> to many uh, maybe not ed woodward and uh, united won the first game of 2016 yeah, the idea that I'm a jinx is nonsense. I did not go to the Stoke game and we lost that. And then I went to the Chelsea game and we didn't lose that, did we? And I may not have been to the Swansea game, but that's a, a small, irrelevant point. You're only as jinxy as your last game, that's what I say. <laughs> so uh, when we left you, listeners, uh, we said we'd be back this week unless Louis van Gaal got sacked in the meantime. Uh, that wasn't any sort of hyperbole or joke. It looked pretty likely and indeed after the defeat to Norwich that was when everything was at its peak in terms of rumours and I, I have to say at this point after that Stoke game I, I'm quite surprised he's still the manager and the story at one point was that he was also quite surprised he was still the manager. Yeah although briefing in the background has been that Van Hal's job is safe, was always safe and there's no chance of him getting sacked and, and in fact that perhaps Edward Wood, uh, fearing the consequences for his own career of another failure, is is fully behind uh, Louis van Gaal. Um, Andy Mitten says that United want the longevity, which is interesting given that he, he's only ever going to be in place for another 18 months. We'll see. Um, he's still in a job, which after the performance against Stoke is is maybe surprising um, because United uh, were truly, truly awful. Or another way of putting it, Stoke were much, much better. Outplayed at Stoke. Uh, the tiki-taker of Stoke's uh, little front three. Uh, yeah, well, Arnautovic, not so little, of course. But the uh, the whole thing around Van Gaal, that was the first time I'd, I'd written anything. I wrote a thing on Bleach Report about how this is sort of, like, regretfully, this has got to be the time when you say goodbye to Van Gaal because it really doesn't look as if the players are with him. The performance at Stoke, I thought, was worse than the game against Norwich. Obviously, on paper, losing at home to Norwich is much worse than losing away to Stoke, which is ultimately not, in, taken in isolation, is not a terrible result. But it was the fact that there, I think there'd been a week before the Norwich game from the Bournemouth game in which to get a response. And there was obviously no response. Then came Stoke and there was less than no response. You know, it was uh, it, it was probably the worst of all the performances this season. It was totally lacking in a bunch of like technical stuff. Like they just looked bad. But all the cliches that you could throw at them as well, you know, the whatever 
some people are very scathing about notions like commitment and heart and all these kind of things, but actually they're vital in professional sport. And United just didn't look like they had any of that, which uh, I thought was quite damning about how the players saw Van Gaal. But it's they've really turned it around since then. Apart from the individual errors and very poor performances, front four were terrible, back four not much better than that, uh, middle two not much better than that. <laughs> uh, apart from those individual performances and individual errors in the case of uh, Memphis Depay, uh, it also yeah, a, a lack of commitment was showing and, and it did feel like they'd given up on their manager. But totally different, different against Chelsea, not a great performance but a spirited one. You know, United actually attacked, um, Chelsea were there for the taking of course, not particularly poor worse than United this season of course um, and and you know in, in a sense the, the game finished on a bit of a flat note really because the feeling was that you know perhaps United could have beaten Chelsea given this team's been in such poor performance uh, put in such poor performances this season but still more spirited from United definitely a, a pretty good first half the dominant team creates some chances. Uh, yeah, of course, let let some chances slip too. De Gea had to be at his best to keep that one at nil-nil. Uh, a fantastic double save, I think, in the second half. Might have been the end of the first half. And a couple of really good saves uh, in isolation as well. So after that game, Van Gaal said United were unlucky, which is something he said a lot this season. And most of the time when he said it, I've kind of been sat there cringing, thinking, what are you doing? Why are you saying this? That's kind of not a very good look. And also sometimes didn't really ring particularly true, felt a bit disingenuous. But actually, he mentioned that again in this game. And for once, I think he was probably right to sort of bemoan United's slight lack of fortune. Hit the bar, hit the post, definitely should have had two penalties. Yeah, definitely unlucky on the penalty shout. Uh, I'm not sure whether hitting the bar on the post is bad luck. I mean, you know, it's not accurate, is it? But, you know, maybe that's Mm. just being a little bit pedantic. Um, So, uh, you know, for the most part, United have not been unlucky this season. Some ill luck in the Chelsea game probably should have had two penalties. Of course, uh, we didn't talk about the big talking point about Stoke, apart from the United's dreadful performance, the first time that Wayne Rooney had been properly, officially dropped uh, from the uh, from the team. And Van Gaal explained it afterwards and said that, you know, they talked about the strategy and the best strategy was leaving Rooney out. Yeah, uh, 45 minutes that lasted in a, in a period where United were playing two games in three days. So probably shouldn't read all that much into it, should we? He's been back and banging them in ever since. Banging one in. Banging one in, yeah. And he was okay in the second half against Stoke. No better than that. Uh, okay against Chelsea and, and a little bit better. He got a man of the match award against Chelsea, which was kind of ridiculous. And uh, and, and then all right against uh, Swansea City. He scored all right and no more than that. He scored a very fine goal, of course. What a goal. Yeah, and a great flick and just instinctive. Um, I, you know, I wasn't sure that Rooney had that kind of thing left in him. It was beautiful to see. It was a a really fine goal. And actually, I I thought he was better than all right in that game because that goal was the icing on the cake of a kind of decent to good performance. So he definitely definitely gets a good overall uh, for that. Didn't do too much wrong that I can remember off the top of my head. You know, the, the thing about the Chelsea game was the, the kind of extra energy United seemed to have. Mm. Martial, all right down the left, Young bombing down the right as he has in the last few games, and Schneidlin, uh, probably the most important player to come back into the team, uh, giving United a lot of energy in midfield, I thought. I mean, he's definitely been missed, his sort of aggression, and you know, I'm not sure he's the world's best defensive midfielder, certainly in terms of like covering space. Um, he's pretty poor at times. 
games, but uh, his energy is you know, really important. And, and Herrera back into the side as well. And it just it felt like it gave United a bit more you know, of a dynamic feel to the central midfield. Yeah, I mean, Schweinsteiger back as well. And, and it just looked much more like a proper team because you they restored the partnership of Blint and Smalling at the back, uh, which he then dismantled again. And we come on to the Swansea game and the strange defensive choices he made. But uh, yeah, the, the whole unit looked pretty functional, but the attack was buzzy and full of energy and exciting. And Juan Mata looked better than he has done against Chelsea. So maybe a bit of a point to prove, maybe something to do with the looming threat of Mourinho. And, and of course, off-the-pitch stuff has been a big talking point too. Uh, there was the press conference before the Stoke game, where uh, just before Christmas, where Van Gaal announced at the end of it, enjoy your mince pies and wine, thank you, and walked out. It was there expressly because the Premier League uh, rules meant he had to go, asked the press if they felt they should apologise to him, and then the Sun had a horrifically snippy back page out after that. Then in his post-match press conference after Chelsea, he uh, he said, you have written that I have a stormy head, but I left with a quiet head. <laughs> um, he's he's fed up with the actually disingenuous press reporting. And he was right, you know, he didn't storm out of that press conference. He sort of basically read a prepared statement and left, you know. Yes, he talked about uh, media lies and uh, or has done in the past. Uh, are, you, are you one of these media that lies all the time, Paul? No, as I've been uh, at pains to state, I'm certainly not a journalist. Um, he was talking about the reporting that he had been or was on the verge of being sacked, which yeah. was not actually the case. No, as as we've heard, you know, repeatedly, well, as has been briefed repeatedly since. So uh, he was not on the verge of being sacked and he didn't storm out of that press conference. Uh, it was quite odd and, uh, you know, bordering on the Rafa Benitez-esque. <laughs> Uh, you know, not exactly a user all f***ing idiots from Fergie, was it? But kind of Van Hal making a statement there, and, and fair enough. Can't do that every week, but as a point, that'll do. And and that you mentioned the, the Sun back page, terrible back page. I mean, just pathetically childish. I'm not sure what exactly they want to achieve with that other than being pathetically childish. Yeah, it was really like um, a very pathetic response to being criticised, basically. And, and not entirely surprising given the people responsible for football coverage of the Sun, a very unpleasant rag. Absolutely, totally agree. Now, um, on something much more pleasant, uh, Swansea game and a victory for United. First time United have won since November. First time United have scored twice since early November. Miracle of miracles. Uh, And United actually just about deserved the win too. Yeah. He didn't get to set another record because I think it was seven games was a record, but then it would have had to get to more than 10 to set the next record. The four losses on a bounce was pretty intense, but he smashed that record too. And we're back. We're back to winning ways now. We've beaten the uh, team two points to get above the relegation zone or whatever it is. It was a good performance, I thought, by United. The first half was depressing, though. First half was everything we've come to expect from United this season. Yeah. First half was terrible, slow, really, really slow. There were groans at times from the crowd, although of course they were pretty supportive generally. Yeah, I thought United just weren't moving the ball quick enough, couldn't get it into Martial, couldn't get it into Rooney, um, and just a very typical United performance, although young bombing down the right wing was probably the, the kind of highlight, and, and every time Martial got the ball he gave Rangel a, you know, a real torrid time, as, as he does with anyone he faces, of course. Uh, second half, much, much better performance. I mean, probably one of the best halves of football from United this season. You know, that's relative, of course. You know, I'm not saying United were great, but uh, much, much, uh, much, much better as an attacking force. Massa in the game, 
Martial, great. Rooney scored fine goal. Schneiderlin, Schweinsteiger kind of running things from midfield. A young bombing on, uh, well, you know, nominally at full back or wing back, but basically playing as a an extra winger. And, you know, it worked. Van Hal called it high risk. And I suppose it was high risk. So the highest risk thing was the fact that he changed his, the shape of his back three or back four or back five uh, three or four times in the game. Of course, the second half was better because we score the goals and you win only when you score the goals. But as a team, our first half performance was better. We don't give any chance away in the first half and we play with three defenders, a risky shape, a risky system. But we want to give pressure from the first minute and we have done that and we have created chances, but we don't score. But you have to score out of the chances. But in the second half, we created less chances, but we scored. And then you say, yeah, the second half is better. Uh, Van Gaal totally wrong with his numbers by the way more created uh, nine chances created in the second half to four in the first and Swansea uh, created two chances in the first half when he said they created none so just just wrong as well as bafflingly bizarre as an analysis of uh, the relative merits of the two halves of football yeah he's probably just disappointed that United only had 53% of the possession Uh, 70% is clearly the target mark because uh, United have been on or around that almost all season and uh, yeah there you go not dominating it's such garbage it's such garbage because United apart from the first 10 minutes where we always look good in the first 10 minutes right this has been the pattern all season long 10 good minutes and then it all goes horribly flat the first half was just a joke at, at halftime in that game it was like okay we're back to Van Gaal out then you know but then they they really turned it around and he did change the system and Ashley Young had an absolutely inspired 20 minutes after the stroke of half time. He was just on fire playing whatever position it was. At one point, I think Anthony Martial was playing hybrid left wing back centre forward. <laughs> yeah, look, it was really odd. And I have to say, some of the changes, unlucky with Phil Jones, of course, got injured. <laughs> that that ain't bad luck. <laughs> no, no, that's true. <laughs> Uh, there's a pattern there. Yeah, if he was a horse, you'd shoot him, of course. But some of the other changes, you know, swapping Blint and Damian twice uh, in terms of their position just made no sense whatsoever. None, none, none. Can't, can't work that one out. You know, maybe that's the riskiest thing in the game. Yeah, and it also directly led to the goal, didn't it? To Swansea's goal, because Damian was just like caught all at sea. And you can't really blame the lad, to be honest, because he changed positions three times in the same in the course of the same game. Right, yeah. And, and you know, the other the other piece of uh, ill luck, and, and Alan Curtis talked about it after the game, was, was with Swansea, actually. I mean, they didn't create a lot, but uh, hit the post bar, I'm trying to remember, one of the two, uh, and had a couple of other close chances as well. So United, United could have let that one slip too. Uh, didn't in the end. And, you know, I guess the, after the second goal was scored, it was, uh, it was, you know, pretty controlled from United, except for, and this would have, this would have sent the old traffic crowd mental, the goalkeeper heading one about three inches wide, uh, deep into injury time. Brutal, absolutely brutal. Darren Richmond tweeting that Van Gaal would just have been sacked on the spot if the opposition goalkeeper had scored. Oh, and two right, a two right I'd, I'd have sacked him on the spot if i was chairman i'd have run down from my posh seats and and just fired him brought out a red card and just showed him <laughs> one there and then now that would be a firing wouldn't it it really would united were uh, exciting to watch from the beginning of the second half to the point at which they scored and then again after swansea had scored and that there was a huge number of positives in that but it's a bit worrying how much they seemed to panic when they took the lead 
They did, yeah, and that's a sign of uh, a, a large lack of confidence, isn't it? Yeah, they really retrenched for a while. But some of the attacking play, as you say, was really good. I thought, you know, particularly Marcel, so so direct. Herrera, while he was on the pitch, just moves the ball so much quicker. It really helps United and matter. I thought he linked up with Martial and Rooney very, very well. And and you know, he could he, he found lots of space, and that's because he didn't have to worry about the right side of attack at all. He didn't really bother about the right side of defence either. But then again, you know, I, I wouldn't say that um, sort of. Sung Young down that side was really penetrating much, but yeah, you know, I thought I thought he was very nice coming inside and and uh, creating a few chances. Yeah, absolutely. And and Martial, it just looks more and more special every game. Of course, he scored a goal and provided an assist. You could say uh, that the assist was not the best actually, and that's why Rooney had to pull off that total worldie of a finish. Um, but he just looks. I don't know, he just looks electric, man, every time he gets the ball and runs with it. And and actually, I think playing him off the left in a 4-3-3 is a wonderful use of his talents. You know, I, I don't have any problem at all with using him as a, a kind of wide inside forward because he just terrorises defenders from that position. He he does, yeah. Would you call that a 4-3-3 from United? Absolutely not. I just mean, in theory, if you kind of... I, I, don't, I don't think it's bad to play Martial out wide, basically, is what I'm saying, so long as he has a very defined attacking role yeah so so right now you know the the trade-off is is memphis or rooney um i mm. guess i mean and rooney has his special privileges uh, aside from 45 minutes against stoke so you know martial is united's best number nine and and at the moment best number 11 as well probably be their best number sort of six through 11 really wouldn't it right right yeah i mean you know it's just got the talent so um if memphis was in better form then then it would um make much less sense to to deploy Martial from the left as it is and it, unless he gets the ball lots then United are, are throwing away their most penetrative and most uh, dangerous player and you know he doesn't always get the ball lots in a very attacking area but he did against uh, Swansea and and that you know helped a lot because you know he's just has the ability and the pace to cause so much damage there and can cut inside and just a huge threat uh, when he does yeah absolutely so the ship for now appears to be a little bit more steady. And I guess what I've been wondering over the Christmas period while you've been far away on the other side of the world, Ed, is uh, what have you made it all of it all? Would you have sacked Van Gaal over Christmas? Do, do you think it's kind of a good thing that United are sticking with him in spite of the troubles? Or, or is it that actually they're making something of a rod for their own back because the best it's going to get is not particularly exciting or good under Van Gaal? Well, that's the question, isn't it? I mean, at the moment, there's no evidence whatsoever that United are going to build a, or Van Gaal is going to build a, a great side out of this. Not, just none at all. And, um, you know, maybe he will, but this team is not going to win the Premier League this season. Don't score enough goals, don't take enough risks to do it. And it doesn't feel like there's a lot of progress. So, you know, I've said on, on the pod before, I didn't really see the benefit of sacking him mid-season. Uh, I'm not sure United would have got a great bump. Um, it, that changed, of course, when Mourinho was available. Not that I really want him anywhere near Old Trafford, but when you get a world-class coach like that and he's available and United are just atrocious and losing four on the trot and not winning for eight matches, then that was a real big decision from United. And basically they've said that they're not going to employ him, that they're sticking with Van Gaal and Van Gaal's going to see his contract out, which will be very interesting. So, you know, I'm not sure I would have fired him only because I wasn't sure what the benefits were of that. If a great manager became available in the summer, and there are a few, uh, I would I would move heaven and earth to get them uh, because it doesn't feel like Van Gaal is going to create anything that's very good at United at all. 
I kind of feel like that's basically where I stand. I've moved from being pretty much certain that we should give Van Gaal 18 months more, whatever happens, to being a bit less certain of that because of just how dreadful it's got. Because because of how the peak is so low now, like the best it ever gets is is, oh, is good, not like amazing. Um, and that's so rare and the, the troughs are so deep. And because mostly it just looked like the players weren't with him. And I, I think my opinion sort of swings again if they are but the kind of the sense that we're kind of going from game to game now so like that that Swansea result was good and the Chelsea performance was a lot better but Chelsea and Swansea are both bad teams although Chelsea played well today but Swansea have had an absolutely torrid season so they're not much of a scalp you know it's it's all relative isn't it it's because we lost to Norwich and Bournemouth that it seems good that we beat Swansea except instead of totally normal that we beat Swansea yeah, and, and some and some game, well, you know, Sheffield United in the FA Cup coming up, really ought to win that one, but uh, away at Newcastle and home then to... Anfield. No, then Anfield, away. away at Liverpool, yeah, and that's going to be, you know, Newcastle pretty rubbish generally this season, aside from the occasional game, and, and but away at Anfield. I know Liverpool lost at West Ham the other day, they're a work in progress, but that's going to be a super, super tough game for United. Uh, it really is because th- this is a game of where both teams have really only got the big games to salvage their season, right? That, that's you know that's the only thing that's really going for them. Newcastle have been pretty dreadful. We'll come on to a fuller preview of that shortly, I guess. But but you can imagine them getting up for it and getting a result because they they have done that this season in some in some big games, and and this will obviously be one. Yeah. So it's not a formality. I think the next six weeks or so are going to be pretty testing for United. You know, way at Newcastle, way at Liverpool, home Southampton, they blow hot and cold, of course. The home game with Stoke, just played them away at Chelsea, who seem to be picking up some momentum. Then the doubleheader with uh, Micheland, um in the Europa League, and then, then it's Arsenal. So, you know, that's a, that's a n- not all of those games are easy, are they? No. Nope. And it's certainly going to test, and United hasn't done that well in all of the big games this season. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see whether there's any real momentum coming out of, of the draw, draw with Chelsea and the win over Swansea. It's hard to say that there is just yet. Absolutely, and and you have to say that the credit that Van Gaal has got, well, Van Gaal just doesn't have any credit left with supporters at all. The only supporters that are still with Van Gaal are people who believe in kind of solidity and giving the manager a chance to the nth degree, really. there's the It's not a social media thing that people don't want Van Gaal at the club. It's widespread at Old Trafford too. I, I think I estimated somewhere like 60% or a little while ago, but... I'm I'm sure that 80% of that Old Trafford crowd would be glad if Van Gaal was replaced with someone. I think it might be a bit of a careful what you wish for situation because we're just not sure who to get in. Now, we haven't even mentioned this, but someone who Paul Scholes described as a clown selling uh, Jose Mourinho scarfs outside Old Trafford. Yes. Well, clearly this guy is a clown because he didn't realise that United is spelt with an <laughs> I in it. But the uh, the bigger clowns were the people that bought them. And there was one guy, I don't know if he knows this or not, but who's standing right in front of the press box with uh, a Mourinho scarf on. So his, his picture was widely distributed around the internet. And then the Chelsea fans started singing Jose Mourinho, as, as you would expect them to. And he held up the United scarf with Mourinho's face on it, aloft towards them. And I just couldn't work out what was going through his head when he was doing that. It was like, yeah, I agree with you, Jose Mourinho, or he's ours now. Look, he's on this scarf. Either way, it was weird. 
embarrassing. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I don't like that kind of thing. That feels the kind, the kind of thing that Chelsea fans would do, to be honest. So I think uh, we don't need any of that. And yeah, and Andy Mitten wrote a piece um, in one of his columns uh, a couple of weeks ago where he talks about the the difference in different types of fans. Um, and I have to say, I didn't agree with um, all of what he wrote. So he's basically said that the club are backing Van Gaal. They're going to back him whatever um, they want. The longevity that comes with uh, backing a manager points to the success of Busby and Ferguson. And, and that uh, Van Gaal does have support in the ground and uh, match-going fans are generally more supportive than uh, other fans. And um, I think that distinction is, is a little crude. But... You know, it's it's something I've noticed from, you know, 30 odd years back and people who are older than me would say the same thing, I guess, that that old Trafford's fans do not like getting on the back of the team or the manager. You know, it's it's famously when a team scores against United, the Stretford end would get up and start chanting United. This is a culture that is long ingrained, I think. So support in the in the stands and support for Van Gaal in Old Trafford is stronger than in social media and wider but go down the pub talk to some United fans and and people are and you know are not happy yeah it's the difference between vocal support at the ground like there's plenty of people who would paradoxically both sing Louis Van Gaal's Red and White Army and be delighted if he was sacked the next day you can you can do both things right you, it's it's the difference between being like in the ground and supporting the team in a kind of active conscious way versus the kind of slightly more dispassionate uh, analysis that comes when you walk away from that because because his name was sung against Chelsea I didn't I didn't go to Swansea so I don't know but the his name it got a, a couple of fairly quiet airings but airings nonetheless and he got polite applause as he walked off the pitch instead of the kind of hounding he got when he walked off against Norwich but I think the fact that you know there were plenty of people with rubbish handmade signs in that game and I do think this notion of Old Trafford as a kind of uh, bastion of difference in football like some sort of different fan culture than other cultures is eroding through the homogenization of culture in general it's that old guard are slowly eroding and you're getting a more kind of the kind of fan base that against modern football people are against <laughs> yeah anyway so they, they were the games um a loss a draw and a win i guess that's progress and likes to talk about progress so he's got some there um up back up to fifth uh is sort of in touch uh with a well three points behind tottenham six behind City and then it's nine to Arsenal now so I think uh, any aspirations around the title are probably you know gone and we talked about it potentially United doing it just because there was so much inconsistency but um, it's going to be a super tight race for the top four no doubt. A couple of months ago we were saying that the top four looked a lock because we were we were playing so safety first that we'd get enough points but the rails came off. I do think it's also probably worth saying something about the fact that the terrible form did conflate with a run of injuries and Bastian Schweinsteiger missing three games. Like there was a lot of absenteeism during that period. Uh, maybe, maybe we'll look back on it and see that that period was a real blip. But uh, I, I'm not convinced about that. I have to say, it's eight games a blip. It's a quarter of a season. Yeah, you know, you're right. You're absolutely right. But I mean the four games, really. Uh, but those four games... Yeah, oh, God, this was another thing that Van Gaal did that absolutely wound me up to whatever. He said in... Oh, it was a good year, 2015, apart from December. Yeah, and, and May and October. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. Like, you look at our results in October. Absolute disgrace. So it was a great year apart from a quarter of it. Like May, May was like I don't know, it wasn't wasn't so disastrous, but definitely like uh, late April, early May was a complete catastrophe. So 
Do you think that United will qualify for the Champions League? Uh, I suppose I do think that, but the basis for that is pretty flimsy because, I mean, of the teams above us, you look at City and Arsenal as being almost nailed on. So there's two places to compete for, really. Leicester, who knows where they're going to go from here, right? They've hit 40 points. I wouldn't be surprised if they finished 6th or 7th in in the league because they had a disastrous second half of the season. But equally, I wouldn't be that surprised if they stick get back on it and start getting some results again that that's some great analysis there no but it's true though like you know you can you can easily see it going in either direction if mardi and mardi and vares <laughs> mares and v- v- vardi cool off a bit then then that whole team looks a lot worse right yeah oh, certainly yeah so i, I think um vardi and mares and and kante in in midfield are their three yeah. key players uh, injury to any one of them could derail their season you know I think just the thinner squad and and those three are so key um so of course they could drop up but equally you know if if Liverpool actually start putting a run of results together and Tottenham are going great guns at the moment then then you're looking at a really really tight race for the top four you know because we don't really expect Arsenal and City to drop that much do we no and I I have to say though when you bring Liverpool into it I I think Liverpool are worse than us right that's they're they're as inconsistent as us and they've probably got a worse squad and, you know, the, the the huge Klopp bounce definitely seems to have come back down to earth with a bit of a bump. It has, yeah. Uh, the, the Spurs thing, I don't know if you saw Spurs-Everton today, right in the first half, Spurs were like bordering on breathtaking at times. They looked so, so, so good. Everton did really well. And, they're you know, Everton are another... I think Everton are probably more likely to make the top four than Liverpool, actually. I don't know. It's gonna be it's gonna be super super tight again. But I feel like at this time last season we were saying exactly the same thing, and then United went on a really brilliant run in spring. You know, so we'll see if there's anything like that on the horizon this time. Because again, like I, w- I know this is this is an analysis again, but I wouldn't be surprised if United went on a proper run and put some results together because there is a good team in there somewhere. All right. Well, yeah, I think it's going to be tight. Um, we talked about the fans a little bit earlier. Do we have any uh, Rankcast listener questions this time round? We do. At Joe Petruccio says, will I find love in 2016? Hashtag Rankcast. No, mate, just forget it and uh, watch United. You just need to find a nice socialist girl, Joe. At Ryan Dino 7 says, is title hamster the best description for a footballer ever? I don't know if you saw this, Ed, but this is absolutely genius. Uh, Build described Ryan Giggs as a title hamster. <laughs> I just think that's, I presumably because like he stores titles in his cheeks. I don't know. I liked it a lot anyway. Very nice. At JB73 says, and I think this is a great question, what good work is LVG, LVG doing behind the scenes that would impress the board enough not to sack him? Is it with youth? No, I don't think it's that. Nope. Uh, so uh, as, um, you know, not having the full inside view, I, I don't think he has much say in the youth team and or youth setup at all. Um, so no, I, I don't think it's that. I mean, he's given a lot of players a go, but that's not a reason for keeping a manager. So did David Moyes. It's um, it, it's not that. I think uh, it's a, a desperate hope for some kind of progress and consistency, and not becoming a club that sacks a manager every year. And Adiraj S. Ratoro says, uh, is LVG still at the club because Woodward is guarding himself from criticism? What of Woodward if LG, LVG fails? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, there's something in this theory, at least, isn't there? Because two managers and two failures is going to look pretty bad on Woodward's ability to to run the cr- club properly. And there's look, there's a, some interesting thoughts around Woodward because he was United's sort of you know chief commercial guy. He put together the the leverage buyout. He's very close to the Glazers. They have a very strong working relationship, but he has seemingly failed when it comes to the kind of core football part which is helping the manager to build a team you know he's so many failed bids basically the strategy is call up an agent and get the player and and shell out the the money and has kind of been acting as this de facto director of football and uh, it feels a bit antiquated as a as a structure and some of his limitations seem to have come out as a result. Yeah um, Jamie Jackson on this very podcast saying that this is essentially Woodward's club now and at will wait asking uh, is the relationship too cozy between united executives e.g. van gaal and woodward and woodward and the glazers well you'd want a good strong working relationship wouldn't you i mean yeah. it's uh, look you can um, in in a typical corporate environment you do create checks and balances because that's that's important to make sure the the kind of strategy and direction of the company is right and you have a this kind of natural tension between shareholders the chairman and and the board but that's not really what we're trying to create at United. What you're trying to create is consistency of thought and structure. And they don't have that. Now, the relationship, the closer relationship might mean that United don't think about changing the structure. I know that the the very typical sort of owner, CEO, manager uh, structure has been in place for decades at United. And that kind of history and consistency can serve United very well. But it served United very well when we had a brilliant manager. It doesn't serve United very well, or seemingly doesn't serve United very well, given the talents of Woodward and uh, and Van Hal. And it just feels, again, speculation here, just feels that United are lacking a little bit of football now, you know, in the the kind of upper echelons of the, the hierarchy. Woodward's a banker, uh, the Glazers are absentee landlords, uh, United still don't have an academy director. Uh, I caused a bit of fuss complaining about the scouting <laughs> system on this podcast i was gonna mention this ed do we have to do a re- retraction here well no, not exactly no because the, the wider point about the chaos in the scouting system is true you know that people pointed out that 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 my comment about the, them having uh, no full-time scouts was wrong so fair enough uh, they have a lot of contract scouts but just some of the key structures don't appear to be don't appear to have been updated post ferguson yeah, absolutely. And and I remember saying that United wasn't a political club when Van Gaal took over because this has generally been what he's fallen foul of over time. He's, he's not a very good politician in, in, in a club structure. Um, but of course, the, the, this was a very naive thing to say because actually United, it just the only reason United have not been a political club is Ferguson. He had complete control. Um, when Stalin fell, the Politburo became a lot more about politicking, right? So... When when Ferguson leaves, the the vacuum of power means that there is there is going to be politics there, and it, it's it'd be fascinating to know what's really going on behind the scenes. But for now, it, for sure, it definitely seems like Woodward believes in Van Gaal, although he also must know that a reputation for boringness is a disaster for United. Like this is this is. It's actually, I think, probably more of a problem for Woodward if United are perceived as boring than if they are unsuccessful on the pitch, right? Because the two things that uh, people want to buy into when they invest in United uh, in terms of like sponsors and stuff is either vicarious success and vicarious glory or vicarious glamour and vicarious excitement. If you don't have either of those two, then what are you really selling, you know? 
Yeah, it's a very good point in that one. You know, this is uh, that's the only thing you buy is a you, you buy United's reach, and this is why uh, the club talks about six hundred sixty-nine million fans <laughs> or whatever supporters, followers. Yep. And uh, be- because you're buying that kind of extension, um, but it is vicarious, yeah, absolutely. And and if United is an unsuccessful club, that's one thing that I'm not sure the reach dissipates overnight. Albeit, uh, sort of overseas fans are fickle, more fickle. I mean, fickle in terms of their support or following. Yeah, not you don't mean individual overseas follow fans, right? You mean the, the group, the collective bank of people out in the world, yeah. But but yeah, if United are not sexy anymore, this is the thing that creates the massive global reach. At Big Fudge three one six says pugs or drugs hashtag Rankcast. Can you smoke a pug? Gotta go with pugs, son. Gotta go with pugs. Much more sustainable in the long run. Oh yeah, this is an interesting point. At Wormito says, uh, is the return of Will Keane going to be any use to us? No, not been pr- prolific for PNE. Why recall him and not Wilson? Well, weird that. I mean, presumably he's not so much been recalled as sent home because Preston don't want him anymore. Yeah, I, I wondered whether they were putting a positive spin on it. Yeah, talk to Preston fans and they say he's been terrible. Yep, yeah, absolutely. That's I've a couple of friends who are Preston fans and have said very much the same thing. <laughs> At Jay McCown Esquire says, why is Daily Blint getting slower? Look, it's been a long season, all right? A lot of games in quick succession. Can he get slower? Quick succession was the wrong phrase to use, wasn't it? Actually, this one's the final one. At Bridgie 3 says, has Mata been a good signing for United? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, he scored, um, I mean, started 60-odd games and, and scored uh, 20-something 20, and a uh, similar number of assists. Two, uh, fewer assists and goals, actually, I think, with Mata. So he has been just on the numbers he produces. That's very good for a, a midfielder, midfield player. Very good for a midfield player who's spent most of his time at United out of position and, and somewhat isolated on the right wing. What he doesn't do, which is what I guess we hoped he'd do when he came, is run games as a number 10. Yeah. Uh, mainly because he hasn't played there very often, but also because when he has played there, he hasn't really put in that kind of performance. Yeah. I'd like to see him have 15 games in a row at number 10 and then we'd really find out. Yeah, and I think he's in poor form as well. I think he's, he's as much as the team's in a bad run of form, I think Mata personally has been in a bad run of form and you can see it in some of his finishing and stuff. I think he's in a difficult moment, as he would probably put it himself. Has he been a signing that justifies this kind of huge hoopla and massive transfer fee? Maybe you could say no, you'd expect a bit more. But I, I don't think it, you could say it's been a disastrous or terrible signing either, by any means. And not all his own fault? No, absolutely. So, shall we preview some nil-nil draws? Very good, yeah, let's do that. The FA Cup is back. Yes, we're not going to win it again. Hooray! It's been 11 years. Well, it'll be 12 years by the time we get to the final. So, um, yeah, I'd really, really like to see United uh, put in a good run in the FA Cup, wouldn't you? <laughs> yes, as we've said every year since the start of the rank cast. Yeah, it's such a shame that it, it really hasn't happened. And, and, you know, just wonder, will Van Hal prioritise it? Will we get a full team out against Sheffield United? I presume he's going to want to make a, make a few changes. Yeah, he didn't mess about too much in the FA Cup last no. year, did he? Um, we just were dreadful with a fairly full-strength team. Yeah, true. Um, look, this should be a banker, right? No, I mean, what should? Like, there's nothing about... A, like, if you look at our performance in the Cup last season, we made really heavy weather of beating Yeovil away, drew 0-0 with Cambridge away, beat them fairly comfortably at home, really struggled with Preston away, um, even though we won that 3-1. It was not until the last half an hour that United really came good, and then lost the first proper game we had. So 
and 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 we've lost to Norwich at home and Bournemouth away this season, and not a huge amount in it really. I'm not convinced this is going to be an easy ride at all. How much do you know about Sheffield United? Then you've been uh, deeply researching their squad. No, but football in it. Yeah, they won a game. They won. They won. They won some games. They they had been on on like a pretty decent run actually between between their League One performance. Oh, okay. Listen, right. Okay, right. Listen. Full disclosure, I may have thought they were in the championship until this very moment. Modern Premier League fans, just not real fans. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're doing okay, they're eight. I might have been thinking about Wednesday as well, that's also possible. You've just alienated at least three Sheffield Wednesday and or Sheffield United fans that listen to this podcast. You Do you lean Wednesday or United? I've always been a Wednesday man myself. For uh, various family reasons, I've been to quite a lot of Wednesday games over the years. N- not that I do it very often, or haven't, in fact, in about 20 years. Uh, but when I was younger, I went to quite a few, so I suppose so. Uh, you know, look, they're doing okay, they're eighth in League One, the loss at the weekend you know this is a decent sized club you know they always used to get uh, pretty good crowds at Bramall Lane they probably ought to be a championship club they're not and United ought to thump them ought to but we just don't really thump teams anymore do we I mean when was the last time we absolutely thumped someone mm, I don't remember 3-0 at Everton that was yeah sort of a thumping yeah sort of but, like, when did we last score more than three goals in a game? Don't remember. We we did it against Leverkusen. Has there been one since then? Mm, I don't think so. No, OK, maybe one. But anyway, yeah, thumping seems a long shot. It does indeed, yeah. Anyway, let's hope for uh, a narrow victory. <laughs> yes. As, as we shut the game down after scoring. Uh, it won't be in the first half, of course, because we can't score in the first half at home. Yeah, not since October the 30th, right? That's uh, that's quite a frightening statistic, I think. Anyway, so back back to the league after United's thumping victory over Sheffield United. Uh, we have a midweek game. Can I just ask, right, uh, a genuine question for Rankars listeners. Is that the worst preview we've ever done? Or have we done worse previews than that before? I think we might have done worse, but that's only because we've set the bar so staggeringly low. Sorry for wasting three minutes of your life there, listeners. Sheffield United are a team. That's what we learnt. They are a team. They're in League One uh, and uh, they lost at the weekend and they had a, sort of had a decent run recently. So if you had not looked at anything on the internet <laughs> about United's upcoming game, uh, you have received information. Yep. Very good. So onto the league. Uh, Newcastle away. Uh, what do you know about Newcastle away? I know, I know a little bit more about Newcastle than I know about Sheffield, but not that much. Newcastle's season has been really weird. It looked like it was just going to be an unmitigated disaster. Then there was a a little patch of pretty decent form, which, as has been noted far and wide, genuinely coincides with when they're on the telly. This sense that Newcastle are some sort of feeder club, basically, and that all their players are just there to be in the Premier League and be seen, genuinely seems to have some merit to it. um, Because they raise their game in the big games, considerably and it must be incredibly frustrating if you're connected to that club in any way shape or form but their their recent run of results since they beat Liverpool 2-0 has been just pathetic like oh sorry they beat Liverpool and then they beat Spurs right in mid-December right then they drew at home with Villa lost away lost at home to Everton lost 1-0 away to West Bromwich who've been in 
dire form. And then lost 1-0 to Arsenal. That's not a bad result this weekend. So they are a, a wild... Their best and their worst are a very long way apart. But I think if you had to if you had to gamble on it one way or another, you would say they're more likely to be closer to their best than closer to their worst against United. Yeah, because it's a big game. And, and uh, I presume St. James's Park will be uh, full and, and raucous as it is when, when United turn up. Yeah, yeah. They, get, they get good crowds there anyway, of course given how bad they've been for decades in fact the entire history of the club is uh, is a is a statement i guess so you know look steve mclaren's under pressure he's definitely up for the sack if uh, if newcastle can't you know turn some of their season around you know they're in the relegation zone you'd say that they are probably one of the favourites and Villa are definitely going down Sunderland are pretty poor Big Sam doesn't seem to have pulled anything around there uh, and Newcastle I think are the third worst team in the division so Claren's going to get the sack unless they can turn it around will will the players be up for a big game against United? Definitely You've got me looking up the odds of on the sack race Van Gaal is 1-3 to three on to be the next manager sacked, a next manager to leave post, and McLaren is twelve to one. So uh, the bookies reckon Van Gaal is under considerably more pressure than uh, McLaren. There, hmm. it's kind of interesting. It's interesting, yeah. I mean, you know, the bookies are, are not too far out generally when it comes to results and predicting the the Premier League table because they run all the same statistical models that we follow on social media. Yeah, and um, they have their own ones. Um, f- clubs sacking managers—that's a little harder to call. You know, you can't really model that out, other than I suppose there's a good correlation between results and getting sacked. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I mean, I don't think I don't think they give twelve to one on bets that they think are likely to come in too often. So, especially in what is not an insubstantial market, it's it's not like some obscure match, is it, in a third division in Italy or whatever? No, no. I mean, Sunderland have changed their manager. Villa have changed their manager. Swansea have changed their manager. Uh, so I guess uh, so. Have Chelsea. So uh, who else could get sacked? Is Eddie Howe going to get sacked at Bournemouth? Not likely. Ronald Koeman did such a good job last year, it'd be be pretty dumb to sack him. I don't think Martinez is going to leave Everton. So, you know, there aren't too many other candidates and that'll that'll come into it a little bit. Uh, I guess that's down the bottom of the table. One to three on for Van Gaal. Do the bookies know something that uh, Ed Woodward doesn't? <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, we'll if if uh, I guess the uh, the results of that particular fixture will affect uh, those particular odds quite dramatically because if if Newcastle win, then they will in- move further apart in those directions. But if United win, I guess it'll there'll be a bit of a swing round, especially if you beat Sheffield United, because then we can start talking about some momentum again, especially if we can stay a bit injury free. If we can stay injury free, it's not happened often uh, over the last eighteen months, has it? No, nope. but. Uh, yeah, win over Sheffield United, win over Newcastle, and that is momentum. That'd be three on the bounce, and very important coming into that big game at Anfield. Yeah, and and so I think when you look at the sort of pattern of play against Newcastle, it's going to be quite interesting. Uh, their their game at Old Trafford was the absolute model of United's attacking ineffectiveness. Colaccini was tremendous that day, and has apparently been basically near useless ever since. Newcastle just showed absolutely no ambition whatsoever in that game, as little as any team at Old Trafford has all season. Presumably, they will have to show some more ambition at home because they've got an expectant crowd there and they're not just going to rock up and sit in two banks of four, you would think, which could be good news for United. Could be, yeah. I mean, United get the possession uh, of the ball most of the time anyway. Yeah, let's see. You know, if if Newcastle open it up, that that is a, that is better. And uh, not that United play on the break. You know, tend to slow it down, don't they? 
Well, actually, it was noticeable against both Chelsea and Swansea that United did sort of just finish a couple of their breaks. They they just kind of actually went for it instead of checking back and creating a pattern of possession. Only one thing you actually need to do if United want to break quickly, and that's just pass it to Martial. Doesn't matter, matter where he is, just pass it to Martial. <laughs> one one thing to note: Pavel Cernicek died this week. Of course, yeah. Newcastle's goalkeeper from years ago, yeah, had a heart attack, uh, age forty-seven. Yeah, it's very sad indeed. I'm sure Newcastle fans will be gutted about that one because he was a a big hero in Newcastle. He was former teammate of Alan Shearer and uh, Andy Cole, of course. Whose Premier League record Wayne Rooney beat in in scoring his goal, and and it was nice to see Rooney get a, a record with a fan fantastic goal a reminder of the superb player he has been throughout his United career up until the last three seasons absolutely he is now top uh, goal scorer for England second top goal scorer for United only 11 behind he might make that if he finishes out his contract which has another three years to run on it (laughs) Um, and uh, sorry crawl and a few more behind Alan Shearer uh, could become the uh, best goal scorer in Premier League history probably not we'll see no, that's a big, big long shot, isn't it? Because he's still 30 goals behind or something. A good long way behind, anyway. I think that one. That one's probably out of reach. It's more than 30, I think, isn't it? Because it's 174 to 220 something. Yes. So quite, quite a few. So if, if Rooney was at his peak and, and still scoring 15 a the season, then um, yeah, maybe. But no, I don't think so. I I, uh, I did 10 predictions for 2016, some of which were a little more serious than others. And uh, <laughs> I saw this. Very nice. I predicted that uh, Wayne Rooney would be sold. I, I guess it's a it's a stretch. I, I don't think so. I mean, there was that that um, pre-season charity match that he played. You know, Duncan Ferguson's testimonial, wasn't it? And yeah, um, and he actually got a very good reception. So there was some so, sort of chatter about that warming, you know, pave, paving the path for Rooney to return home to Everton. So could it could it happen? They'd have to give him a huge payoff to make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. Seems seems somewhat unlikely. You got any predictions for 2016? Uh, in terms of United, yeah. uh, honestly, like not any good, not any good ones. <laughs> <laughs> Not any ones that anyone would want to hear. My my honest predictions about the direction that United are currently heading in are pretty not bleak, but they're, they're definitely tempered with uh, with caution. Although you know it'll only take three wins on the bounce against mid-ranking Premier League oppositions to have me convinced we'll win the Champions League by the end of next season. That and a good transfer window. The transfer window's open. We haven't bought anyone yet. Loads of rumours about Felipe Anderson, which seems like the dirt worst idea in the history of ideas. Bring a kind of like somewhat flaky, in and out of form, brilliant Brazilian to a Louis Van Gaal team. Yeah, I I like Anderson. I think he's he's got plenty about him. But you're right about the inconsistency, um, and he doesn't feel like a player that would fit with Van Gaal at all. He's not a structured player. Um, he's uh, given the ball, and he's uh, he's brilliant from a sort of wide right or wide inside forward position. Yeah, right. Which is exactly the same position that Sadio Mane plays, of course. And rumours about uh, United. Being for him after the, I guess he's an inevitable press putting two and two together uh, had a fallout with Ronald Koeman this week because he didn't turn up for the game on time because he was too busy on the phone to Louis van Gaal talking about van Gaal's like you don't want to play for him you want to play for me my house is much bigger than his yeah, yeah, except Van Gaal, of course, wouldn't talk to anyone. So Mane would be talking to his uh, his agent, uh, who would be talking to a third-party agent, who would be the middleman between United's agent, who'd be talking to Ed Woodward. Yes, quite All right, so talking of talking, it's time to talk predictions. Let's predict the Sheffield United and Newcastle United results for Manchester United. 
Awesome. Uh, I think United will win 3-0 against Sheffield United. I think it will be one all at St. James's Park. Okay, I'm going to go with a 2-1 win over Sheffield United, which has everyone tearing their hair out. A Yeah, I'll go with one all as well at Newcastle. But secretly, I was going to say 2-1 Newcastle, but I couldn't bring myself to do it. I don't think we've ever predicted United would lose, have we? <laughs> Just once or twice. Recently, once or twice. I'd love to know what we predicted over Christmas. No memory of that whatsoever. If only there was some way of finding out what we'd said. Uh, so I hope that you, the fine, lovely listeners, have had a nice festive season. Uh, we're back in, in full swing, so we should be doing one of these most weeks for the rest of this season. Uh, and I think I'm not going out on too much of a limb to say that everyone here at the Rankcast wishes you and yours a lovely 2016. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week.